If you guys have not had the privilege of meeting Robert and Olga, huge loss on your part, right? Step up your game. Uh, we're so thankful for them and for tons of other people like them who give their time and energy away to serve, and we want to continue to invite you, to invite you into that. Uh, my name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, thank you all so, so much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. Greetings, Auditorium 2, across the way. You guys look absolutely stunning. Um, if you are here and you are visiting with us, we're extra special glad to have you. If you have any questions about life here at Fellowship, you can stop by guest services in the commons over here near Auditorium 1, and we have a team over there that is ready to help you and serve you in whatever way they can. <clears throat> and members and regulars, you just took in a lot, of, a lot of stuff. Like, that was just buckshot opportunities for you. So if you're forgetting a detail on those, QR code on the back of the seat or next steps over here near uh, auditorium one in the commons. We have also have a team there that cannot wait to serve you. Uh, also on a practical note, our staff team would like to extend uh, a big fat thank you to you guys uh, in regards to, to parking. We know that before and after church, it can be kind of like Woodruff Road Jr. out there. We totally get that getting people in and out here and there. So we appreciate so much your patience, <clears throat> all, along with this sincere thank you, go serve on the parking team, do it, we dare you, and blinkers are your friends, okay? Our people who are already serving, sometimes they're like, what do I do, Lord, help me, and just, you've been doing it your whole life, so just go ahead and cut your blinker on and, <clears throat> and help them out, that would serve, that would serve them. Um, also, if you are new here, you will usually find us on Sunday mornings preaching and teaching straight through a book of the Bible, and we are a couple weeks into a series on the New Testament book of James. Now, if you didn't know this, James is Jesus's younger brother, and he is writing to his Jewish friends scattered throughout the Roman Empire who had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah King that their scriptures were awaiting. And as Jewish Christians under the Roman Empire, they were learning that their life of faith was actually a life of great difficulty, like trouble and trial were always knocking on their door. And so <clears throat> James is writing to his friends to remind them that the life of faith was never, ever designed to be a cakewalk. It was never designed to be easy. In fact, he tells them that passive faith is of no use to anybody, like you or people around you, lazy and inactive faith that does nothing. It can't experience God's peace in, in crazy times. And so it's into this situation that we get to continue to look at James today. So if you wanna go ahead and open up your Bibles and go to James chapter one, that would be excellent, good, great, wonderful, thank you. James chapter one, and we'll talk in a little bit, uh, we'll talk a little more about what we should do when trouble comes knocking. <clears throat> James chapter one. Now, <clears throat> um, as you're flipping your way there, I have a question for you this morning, and I don't really like the question, and I don't like the question, but I have to ask it the way I'm gonna ask it because our passage demands that I do. Here's the question, here we go, here we go. What is the blessed life? We're all after it, <clears throat> people who, don't even say that their followers of Jesus are like, oh yeah, I'm look, I'm, that was a blessing, what a blessing, good. But, but it all, often feels just out of reach for us. So that's my question. What is the blessed life? Now, obviously the reason why I don't like this question is because blessed is a really, really like sappy, drippy, churchy word, okay? And I try to use normal language. And this word, blessed, 
can sound really flimsy and stupid in the mouths of social media influencers and prosperity preachers. So obviously that's why I'm frustrated with the question. That's the language our passage uses, so I'm gonna try to redeem it here. Um, additionally, in the American South, bless is a really kind curse. Like, bless his heart, he's a huge bag of idiots. Like, that's, that's, how we do, that's how we do blessing in the South. If the word bless could talk to us, it'd be like, hey guys, I'm in an identity crisis. God meant me for good, and you meant me for Hobby Lobby. So please stop it, all right? That's what the word blessing would say to us. So there's a very real part of me that gently recoils when I hear the word bless, and it's often sloppy usage. But it gets even more frustrated when we actually start to answer the question because we get all these different answers. Some people go, is the, is the blessed life about having more stuff? Like more cars and bikes and clothes and shoes and toys and electronics and, and trinkets and, and, and gadgets and games and things and stuff and things? That has to be it, right? Well, <clears throat> that can't be it because all of that is just the stuff of future garage sales. Then there's another answer we get. What if, what if the blessed life is all about health? Like the Bible says to keep the temple holy, right? And that's about our bodies. So absolutely, we should steward well our, our mental health, our, our physical health. But that can't be everything because even if you have the best doctors and the best specialists and the best chiropractor and the best medicine, your brain and your body will eventually run out of steam. And there are other ways that people try to answer this question. And we all know it that the blessed life cannot primarily consist of popularity or intelligence or networking or cash or, oh, tons of YouTube followers or a really obedient kid or having that extra house. Why? Because each of these things will eventually stand toe-to-toe with insurmountable obstacles. Yes, when you... Open the Bible, when you see that God created everything, he created humanity to reign and rule with him. That is the blessed life in Genesis 1. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first page, that he blessed us and invited us into life with him, to partner with him. Meaning, he made humanity to be satisfied and delighted in right relationship with him. That is the blessed life. But... In Genesis 3, we chose our own way. And ever since then, the blessed life has always included how we respond to the obstacles. It's not about accruing stuff. It's all going to fade. Those things can be blessings, but that seems like kind of surface level. And some of those blessings are, are awesome, but they don't get to the very heart of rightly living before God when, when trouble and trial come knocking. <clears throat> So somehow, after Genesis 3, the truly blessed life includes rightly responding to God when the brokenness of the world is infringing on us. Some of you know him because he grew up at church here. He's one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world. His name's Joe O'Neill. We met in high school right down the road at Southside Christian, go Sabres, and Joe and I also got our first tattoo together, so tough luck for him, we're bonded forever. Um, we're pastors now, and so a lot of our conversations right now are about ministry and, and shepherding and preaching and Jesus, and it's great, and I love it so, so much. He's a dear friend, but my friend Joe is a pastor right now in Fort Myers, Florida at Summit Church, the church that Jason just mentioned, and his entire congregation is absolutely undone by Hurricane Ian. They are emotionally and physically and even spiritually exhausted because of all of 
the devastation. <clears throat> My family and I actually went to go hang out with them and visit them uh, this past December. And the place that we stayed had almost six feet of water in it 10 days ago. And right now, maybe even right now, my friend Joe is standing up to preach to these people. What does he say to them? What, what does the blessed life look like for them? Is it even possible? Some of them might not even have power, running water. All of the things and stuff that they own have a Pretty big footnote beside him right now. <clears throat> so for these followers of Jesus at Summit Church in Fort Myers, Florida, I, I still believe that the blessed life for them is possible, but the question is, how? Like, what should my buddy Joe say? <clears throat> what is the blessed life for them entail? What shape should it take? And a posture almost exact to this is what James, Jesus' brother, is writing into. <clears throat> His friends are experiencing a different kind of trial, but it's still a hurdle for their faith and a weight to the blessed life. And even if we're not experiencing something similar to our brothers and sisters in Fort Myers or our brothers and sisters to whom James was writing, we have our own stuff, our own pressure, our own trouble that's coming against us, that's knocking at our door, and we have to deal with it rightly in Jesus' name. And this means we have to think well about what it means to live rightly before God when the pressure is on, and that is our question for today. What does the blessed life look like when it meets trouble? What does the blessed life look like when it meets <clears throat> trouble? This is the same question as what is the blessed life after Genesis three? It's the same question as how do we respond to God when the brokenness of the world infringes upon us? Same question. And it acknowledges both what, we're, what we were created for and what bears down on us so hard that we sometimes kind of want to quit. So today we will be helped to think about our question in James chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 12 through 18. That is our passage for today. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> After I read our text, I will say the word of God for the people of God. And then comes your line with gratitude in your heart, a big loud, thanks be to God. Um, <clears throat> so here we go. What does the blessed life look like when it meets trouble? James 1, 12 through 18. Here we go. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Let each person, when they are tempted and lured in and enticed by their own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Now, as we wade 
into this, I need to make two broad observations here. Two broad observations. I got a blessing observation and then I got a, a trouble observation. An observation about blessing and observation about trouble. So <clears throat> first, um, observation about blessing. The blessing in this passage is all about us learning to live the Eden life right in the middle of the exiled life. Let me tell you what I mean. <clears throat> this word for blessing is the word that begins the entire book of Psalms. Psalm starts with, hey, blessed is the one who doesn't walk, sit, or stand with the wicked, but who meditates on God's word and God's instruction. Because if they do, they'll be like a strong Edenic tree by the river. This is also the word that starts Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. James echoes the Sermon on the Mount throughout, and here it's really clear. This is how Jesus starts his sermon. He goes, blessed are the poor and the mourning and the meek. Blessed are the pure and the peacemakers and the persecuted. They get the kingdom of heaven. Look, this is the blessed life. It's how we follow Jesus into the new creation, into the kingdom. That's what's at stake here. Even the fact that God, look down in verse 17, is called the father of lights. Lights is plural there, and it's an echo, also an echo of Genesis 1. And when we live the blessed life, look at verse 18, we become a first fruits of his creatures, a first fruits of the new creation. Meaning, we are like the harvest of heaven here and now. We experience eternal salvation right now in the midst of destruction. We taste the Eden life in the midst of the exile life. That's what the blessed life <clears throat> entails, living rightly and ready before God no matter what lands on your plate. That's, <clears throat> gotta keep that in mind as we continue to think. That's the blessing observation. Now, <clears throat> the trouble observation, <clears throat> and this one is supposed to confuse you. So if you get lost in the next 90 seconds, you got you right where I want you. And James does too. It's not, I'm not smart enough to do this. This is James's fault. <clears throat> okay, pay attention. There's some theological puns and word plays here. Watch, look at verse 12. Look down at verse 12 in your Bible. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's the word in verse 12. Now look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. Those two words in English are the same Greek word. The same word. <clears throat> Greek, the language of the New Testament was originally written in. Same word. So what are the translators doing? But the better question is, what is James doing? <clears throat> well, James is trying to make us slow down here. This is what he's saying. Hey, 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 guys, we all go through trials and tests. But in the middle of that, God doesn't tempt us. We bring the temptation on ourselves, and it's all the same word. Also, and here's the fun one, these are all Jewish Christians. And the archetype for faith in their Bible is good old father Abraham, especially when he goes to offer up Isaac. In fact, James even mentions that story in James chapter two. <clears throat> and guess what? The first verse, hey, the first verse in Genesis chapter 22 says, now God tested Abraham. It's the same word. Even the King James says, tempt. Now, <clears throat> the point is that James is trying to make a stop dead in our tracks and actually think. Here's what he's trying to get us to think about. Hey, when you go through trouble, what's going on behind the scenes? That's what he's trying to get us to think about. If we're seeking to trust and obey God rightly, if we're pursuing the blessed life, ready and responsive to him, and trouble comes knocking, <clears throat> how do I interpret the trouble? That's what James wants us to think about. And Feel how wonderfully confusing this is, and I'll just use the word trouble for every translation because it's <clears throat> a little more neutral. Here we go. Verse two, count it all joy, 
when you meet the troubles. Verse 12, blessed is the one who stays true under trouble. Verse 13, God doesn't trouble you. Verse 14, you trouble yourself. And he says all of this knowing that Genesis 22 starts with, now God troubled Abraham one day. <clears throat> so what do we do with this? This, <laughs> this is what this feels like, a pair of old, 10 pair of old earphones in your pocket where it's like, unravel that. That's what it feels like, <clears throat> okay? Now, I'm getting ready to use three different English words to help us understand what James is doing. He wants us to stop and pick up on the wordplay. <clears throat> Here's what I think James is doing. Here it is. Temptation is internal trouble. Trial is external <clears throat> trouble. And a test is God using every single bit of it to stretch and mature our faith and make us more like Jesus. I think <clears throat> something like this is what James is poetically and artfully and playfully nudging it. Temptation is internal trouble in your soul and your spirit and your mind and your heart. What's going on, how you're processing, how you're thinking about it. That's temptation. Trial is external. The pressure from outside, somebody else trying to deceive you or lure you into sin. That is trial, external trouble. And test is God, the sovereign one over in and through it all, using it all to try to draw us deeper into the life of faith, deeper into life with Jesus and make us more like him. And this delineation is needed because if you get to verse 13, it says, hey, hey, God doesn't tempt, no, 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 even though in a way, but God doesn't tempt, but also the inner life reacts to outward trouble in a different way, that needs to be differentiated. So James is playing with words, and this is my feeble attempt. In every trial, God tests, but he doesn't tempt. <clears throat> now, that, thank you, I appreciate your, uh, your, your good thinking on that, but we have to, we have to bring this down into, into real life for a second. <clears throat> if you are, toe-to-toe -to -toe with trouble, let me give some examples here. If you are toe-to-toe -to -toe with trouble and you're, you're caught in a lie, you, you told a coworker that you're kind of close with, you told them one story to make sure they wouldn't act or react a certain way and so that they would think a certain thing about you, and then you told one of your good friends that you don't work with a different story with different details, and somehow, what in the Moses, they found out and you're caught and you're in trouble, now, in that scenario, is that about temptation in your heart or the external trials and circumstances that you now have to navigate? Or is that about God trying to shape your heart by testing you? Answer, yes. All right? Let's do another one. Maybe this is <clears throat> last week, the, the money stuff. Maybe this is a money thing and you're on the verge of making a money decision. It's not illegal, but you know that the financial decision that you're about to make is a little bit self-seeking and it is not considerate of other people whose needs are way greater than your own. And let's just be honest, we're all friends here. Security and comfort are often our functional gods and so that's why you're leaning in the way of making this specific financial decision. <clears throat> Now, when you're there, is that temptation stirring in your heart? Or is that pressure from the outside to do a certain thing a certain way? Or is God wooing you to trust him as your actual and functional Lord so that he'll make you more like his son Jesus? Answer, yes. Now, one more. When you start to develop way too much interpersonal and emotional intimacy with somebody that you are not married to, when you're more excited to get a text from them than a sweet text from your wife, and when you feel your soul growing callous to the covenant that you made with her before God, 
if that's the place that you find yourself, is that a tempting desire aching in your chest? Or is that pressure from her that, hey, it'll be easy to keep a secret? Or is God beckoning you to stay true and remain steadfast under trial? Answer, yes. All of these and more are simultaneously about our affinity to cave to sin, our being sinned against and there being outward pressure, and God seeking to save us and deliver us from those sins. Do not forget, ever since Genesis 3, this is what constitutes the blessed life, how we respond to trouble as we respond to God. And if we do so humbly and rightly, verse 12, check it out, verse 12, we will get the crown of life. Now, that's a blessing observation and that's a trouble observation. And these two are paving the way for us to more fully answer our question, what does the blessed life look like when it meets trouble? And so here's how we're gonna answer our question. With five simple statements, the first two are negative and they're about how we shouldn't do the blessed life and then the last three are positive. So five simple, simple statements to answer our question. Here we go, number one, first of all, blame halts the blessed life. Blame halts the blessed life. Where do I get that? Verse 13, look at verse 13. Let no one say when they are tempting, hey, this is God's fault. He's tempting me. Now, I know James here is talking about God, but the principle can also include blaming other people. And if, if, if you need uh, some of my own heart uh, poured out before you, I very much struggle with this. You can ask my wife. If I can understand who's really at fault, <clears throat> then I feel like I'm, I'm above everybody. So that, this is the thing that I struggle with, blame. But it is Olympic level blaming to just skip people and go right to God and blame him. <clears throat> That's like, you're a gold medal blamer. That, that is exactly what's happening here. <clears throat> now, God is definitely up to something in your trouble. He, he absolutely is. He's there in the middle of your trouble with you when you feel like nobody understands and when you are tempted to feel like you're alone. He's there, but he is not present in order to tempt you. Also, lament is a great tool that the Christian has. It's a great tool. Being honest and open and frustrated before God is great when it's married to faith in our hearts, to when it's married to trust. But if that ever downshifts to blame, the blessed life is halted and stopped, and here's why. Because it slows us down from actually dealing with how sin and temptation mechanically function in our own lives and hearts. Let me give you an example. If I'm trying to figure out blame, basically if I'm trying to self-justify and defend myself and not trust Jesus as my defender, if I'm trying to self-justify and I go, okay, I can figure this out. This thing is 20% God's fault. It's 30% the fault of my absent boss. It's 40% the fault of my lazy coworkers and it's only 10% my fault. I'll, I'll take 10. If I'm trying to do that, even with pure motives, watch this, I will never ever get to my 10% because I'm too busy thinking everybody else's percentage is bigger than mine. You feel that? You're too busy going, they're more responsible than me. Now, that doesn't mean your coworkers ain't lazy, okay? That's not what that means. But it means that if you're busy blaming and pointing fingers, it puts the life God wants for you at a standstill. It puts blessing at a stoplight indefinitely. If blessing 
is about being postured before God, rightly and ready, you can't grow into that place by accusing others, including accusing God. What I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is actually very, very simple. The, the exact life that God wants for you, the life that you were made for, the life where you trust God even when it gets hard, you cannot experience that life when you breathe out blame every day. Blame chokes, blame halts blessing. Next, lust kills the blessed life. <clears throat> lust kills the blessed life. <clears throat> All right, Jim, why are you talking about lust? It's not in the passage. Well, the original definition of lust is not about wrong sexual longing. It's an unhealthy desire. Old King Jimmy even translates it lust right here, okay? This just means unhealthy desire. <clears throat> but look at how it works. Look at why lust kills. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> verse 14. Each person is tempted when they are lured in and enticed by their own desire. And the word desire here is lust. It's an unhealthy desire. The word is actually, if you super literally translate it, it's over desire. <clears throat> now look at verse 15. Then over desire gives birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Look at that again. <clears throat> 15, because it's it's another wordplay. When overdesire gives birth to sin, <clears throat> if sin grows up, it gives birth to death. You know what James is doing? <clears throat> He's teaching us, and some, you gotta get this. Somebody here needs to get this. He's teaching us that the essence of sin is not wanting bad things, but wanting things badly, in the wrong way, or for the wrong reasons. That's lust or overdesire. So, <clears throat> It is not wrong to have money. It is most assuredly wrong for money to have you. It is not wrong to have comfort. It is most assuredly wrong to crave comfort as an escape. It's not wrong to have control. Hey, fruit of the spirit, self-control. It's not wrong to have control. But it is wrong to want control in order to glorify self rather than glorify God. It's not wrong to want to be healthy. Do it. Knock yourself out. Keep the temple holy way to go. But it is wrong to crave a detached idea of physical health that deters you from spiritual health. And it's not wrong <clears throat> to be married and have friends of the opposite sex. But it is wrong to expect and long for them to be for you what your spouse and only your spouse is supposed to be. What James is teaching is that when you want something too much or you want it in the wrong way, that over-desire in your heart starts to dip its toe into sin and then that sin, you swim around it and it becomes habituated sin in your heart and in your life. And if that sin is not confessed or repented of, saying something out loud about it to God and other people, if that sin is not confessed and repented of, then you slowly become numb to it and you don't see that it's wrong and you presume on its presence in your life and that is actually you living in death. And that's why James says in verse 16, brothers and sisters, please do not be deceived. Or as St. Augustine says, <clears throat> habit, if not resisted, soon becomes necessity. That's what James is saying, and that's terrifying. Habit, 
if not resisted, soon becomes necessity. And necessity that is not aimed at God, James says the most dark and strange thing, that it gives birth to death. Now, think about what the gravity, think about the gravity of of what James is saying here. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. This is believers. And he's saying that you can actually be a Christian. You can trust that Jesus has forgiven you. He's conquered sin and death and hell for you. You can believe that and be welcomed into his family. And yet, you can still functionally live in the place he died to set you free from, in death. And this is the most sad and weighty and despairing place to be. Why? Because you have basically killed the blessed life that you were created for, that you were called to embody. That's why lust kills the blessed life. Now, thankfully, there are some uh, positive exhortations that we can see here in James 1. Those are the negatives. Positively, here we go. Perseverance fuels the blessed life. Perseverance fuels the blessed life. Verse 12, verse 12. Blessed is the one. The word in Greek, blessed, is uh, fortunate, lucky, flourishing, happy even. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. This is about the endurance and resolve to depend on God no matter how heavy it gets. This is about not giving up and not giving in when temptation comes knocking. This is about not yielding to blame or lust when they feel so easy. This is about a determined desperation for God and his agenda rather than your own. Determined desperation for God. That's the perseverance here. And here's the strange, the strange and beautiful thing about perseverance and the blessed life. Here it is. By faith, the more you endure through trials where your things and your stuff and your health and your security and your ideals are threatened, the more you endure those trials, the more you will realize that Jesus is the purest and the truest thing that you actually need. He alone is your true security. He alone is your true comfort. Not your stuff, dude, not your stuff. He's your comfort, he's your security, or as the old hymn says, and I love it, he is thy health and salvation. The more I studied this week, the more my mind kept wandering to my friend Joe, um, who's gathering with his family at Summit Church in Fort Myers this morning. And that church has infinitely more excuses than we do to be exempt from persevering. But I believe that as God restores and he sustains that community, those brothers and sisters will discover a holy steadfastness and a holy dependence that draws them deeper and deeper into the blessed life. And that is precisely what James is daring to do with his friends here in James 1. He is showing his marginalized and persecuted friends that their resolve to trust God when they meet trials of various kinds, that those trials have to be met with perseverance. And perseverance, according to verse four, look up at verse four, will make them, look, mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And we have to adopt this same posture of readiness 
and willingness to press on when the pressure's on, we have to. Perseverance fuels the blessed life. All right, blame halts it. Lust kills it. Perseverance fuels it and gratitude, number four, gratitude sustains it. Gratitude sustains the blessed life. Verse 17, look, 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 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Jim, I do not see gratitude in there directly. What do you mean by that? Well, the language of gift giving in the first century had built in cultural responses of gratitude attached to it. So much so that the dominant word for grace, gift, in the New Testament is also the word for thanks. And forgive me, but even in our English tongue, we have two Latin rooted words that share the same, or we have two Latin rooted words that share the same root, and that is grace and gratitude come from the same source. And when James is hinting at these things, he doubles down to get us to pay attention. Every good gift, every perfect gift. He is calling us to both recognize God's good gifts and respond to them rightly with gratitude. And this call is a function of the blessed life working rightly. Now, I wish I had 12 minutes for us to all take a deep breath and me say one thing we're thankful for and then take another deep breath and just do that to realize that you are blessed beyond imagination. So let's just try to do a version of that for just a second. Forgiveness. Hope. Laughter. Food, family, prayer, sunsets, scripture, music, beauty, art, coffee, community, sport, truth, colors, clouds, silence. The simple fact that he does not leave us in our sin and death should astound us with joyful things. If we really see all that he is and all that he does as a gift of his grace, appreciation would be our native tongue. And if we never, ever owned another single earthly possession, the cross and the resurrection would be enough to fill eternity with bursting gratitude. Gratitude sustains the blessed life. And, and, hey, watch this. If you're always on the hunt, always looking out for every good and perfect gift all the time, if you're looking for that, guess what you simultaneously cannot do? If you're always going, where are the blessings? Where are the gifts? Where are the good things? Every good and perfect one. If you're always doing that, guess what you can't simultaneously do? Blame and lust. If your eyes are just ready to find things you should be thankful for, you can't point fingers and have over-desire reigning in your heart. Can't do it. And further, these ideas of of gift and gratitude lead us to our our final thought here. Finally, lastly, God gives the blessed life. God gives the blessed life. Only he and he alone grant this reality. He can't be blamed for temptation, but he can be blessed and praised for new creation. Verse 18, check it out. Of his own will, he did it. 
Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits, the harvest of heaven. So yes, the call is to reject and stiff arm blame and lust. Yes, the call is to endure and persevere and be grateful. But we are to do these things knowing that he is the one who truly brings about life. Now, this might sound strange, but on the first page of the Bible in Genesis 1, God did not like create amorphous organisms and wait patiently for them to obey him before he blessed them and then made them and crafted them into his image. It's not what he did. He started with blessing. He gives the blessed life. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and reign and rule with me. He gives the blessed life. And in the same way that he spoke everything into being out of nothing by his word, so is he the one who brings about new creation by the word of truth. That's what it says. That's what James says. And all of this ultimately happens through and because of his son, Jesus. Jesus is the new creation, or is the new Adam of the new creation. Paul says that Jesus bears God's image perfectly, which means he lives the blessed life for us and invites us into it. Also, here's the fun one, Matthew chapter four, you ready? You know what Matthew says? Pay attention. It says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, same word, trial and trouble. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But notice, the spirit didn't tempt Jesus, but the devil put him on trial and Jesus passed the test. He didn't accuse his father, he trusted. He wasn't filled with over-desire, he depended. And because of that, guess what happens? In chapter five, guess what Jesus talks about? The blessed life. He opens up his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor and the mourning and the meek. Blessed are the pure and the peacemakers and the persecuted. And then, Jesus became that blessed one at the cross. He was the pure son of God who came to make peace by being persecuted, taking sin and death into himself for us. And then with Psalm 1 echoing, Jesus went to an exiled tree of death so that we could partake in an Eden-like tree of life. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He persevered. Jesus did it. Jesus remained steadfast under trial. He wore a crown of thorns so that you and I could wear a crown of life one day. What you have to see is that God is not calling you to anything that he himself has not also done in the person of Jesus. This is grace. It is finished. He took the sting out of sin and death for us so that even if we're enticed or allured, we can simultaneously be forgiven. He rightly lived unto the Father so that he could bring healing to the brokenness of the world that infringes on all of our hearts. Every good and perfect gift is just a shadow of the gift upon gift and the grace upon grace that we have in Jesus. And all of this means that the way that you reject blame, the way that you reject lust is by paying attention to Jesus and believing Jesus and clinging tightly to Jesus. All of this means that the way you persevere, the way that you live in gratitude is by relying on Jesus, imitating Jesus, and following closely the way of Jesus because he is where real life is found. He is 
the blessed life in a person come to rescue us from trouble. Fellowship Greenville, I have really, really good news for you today. Even if the blessed life is defined in terms of the persevering life, Jesus has blazed the trail ahead of us and he has come out the other side victorious and he can be trusted. And today I I hope you trust him. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are our only hope. You persevered all the way to and through death. And death is the biggest and scariest thing. And Jesus, that means that you understand every single fear, every single impulse, every single allure. You understand all of the things that stir in our hearts. And you understand them more than we do. And so may we run to you to trust you, to cling to you, to know that you get it, you understand. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters at this church who are part of this family. Holy Spirit, please, would you do something right now in our hearts whereby you give us a unique grace and a unique strength whereby we are ready to follow Jesus' example, whereby we are eternally grateful for all that he has done for us. Please, Spirit, do that. Give us that grace and that strength. Jesus, we are very, very thankful for the cross and the resurrection. We love you so much. You're the best. Amen.